This is Alex. And this is James. And you're listening to the American Toffee Podcast. What is up, everybody? Alex here with James, as usual. Hello. And we are here to give you our Burnley preview at Turf Moor. So currently Everton sit in 15th place with seven points. Burnley, however, sit in 11th place with nine points. We have another not-so-delicious away match at Turf Moor. I say that not because Turf Moor is, is particularly daunting, but because any away match seems to be daunting for our current squad. Isn't that right, James? Yeah, it doesn't fill anyone with a ton of confidence knowing we're going away, especially after we lost at home against Manchester City, though that is a little bit more understandable considering who Man City are and what they bring to the table. But it just increases the amount of pressure that's on Marco Silva and the rest of the squad heading away to Turf Moor in on paper, what should be a winnable game. However, they are, of course, ahead of us in the table. And it's not a game that's a shoe in or an easy win by any chance or by any means, no matter what. Sean Dyche is going to set up and make his team competitive. Um, We have done well against Burnley last season. We did the double over them. One of the few teams we were able to do that. It was actually a 7-1 on aggregate between both games. So it seems like Marco Silva does know how to break down a Sean Dyche side. However, with the way things are going right now, despite the positive signs, and there were a lot of positive signs from the Manchester City game last Saturday, a loss is a loss, and Marco Silva will be feeling the heat on his seat, no doubts. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to say I, I... I obviously was not able to join for the for the Man City review episode, but I will say that based on me being able to view the first half, I thought that the team put up a really, really solid fight. It was super exciting. I liked the energy that they brought. And so I, it felt more positive. But again, that's that's the difference between playing a team that plays open and expansive football compared to a team that, that bunkers down, plays a low block, which is pretty much most of the teams that we've faced up until this point. To your point about doing the double over Burnley last season, when we played them away is actually when we won five to one. It was pretty memorable, a really exciting game. It was the day after Christmas. But the important thing to note, or the crazy thing to note is that was one of the matches in which we played a 3-4-3 formation. So we saw Big Yerald step in with Zuma and Mike Keane. But the other crazy thing about that formation that day specifically is the fact that we did not play with a defensive midfielder. In that 3-4-3 formation, obviously we had Coleman and Dean on the outside part of the four midfield. In the center, we had Gilfie Sigurdsson and Andre Gomez. And so I'm not saying that, that we might see that formation from Marco Silva this time around. However, I do think that, you know, that, that kind of shows something that we've all been crying out for, right? Why are we playing two defensive midfielders at one time? You know, why is Tom Davies not getting game time? It was just interesting to see that when when I pulled it up from from last season and I saw that our resounding win came with no defensive midfielder. Yeah, and the 3-4-3 formation, I remember that Burnley match very well because it kind of came out of the blue and we had been crying out for it for fan, as fans for a few weeks now because the team wasn't in great form. It was during that very difficult holiday period. And so it was... Uh, a relief to see Marco Silva kind of give the fans what they wanted, similar to what we saw against Sheffield Wednesday in the Carabao Cup um, last week, where we had um, you know the changes that fans have been clamoring for, switching up the personnel. And although the formation didn't change against Sheffield Wednesday, we did see again those changes that we wanted. So it'll, I, I don't, ex- I like you, I don't expect us to change formation for this match. However, 
I do hope that we see perhaps some personnel changes that will give the team a bit of a fresh look in Again, like you mentioned, the Man City game, there were positive, encouraging signs, but this is going to be a completely different game where we're going to have to fight and scrap for every inch of space in Burnley's third because they're not going to give any ground whatsoever. And they're going to make things very difficult, very compact. And I've yet to see any indications from the team this season that we're capable of breaking a side like that down. So hopefully the work's gone in on the training ground at Finch Farm this week. And I mean, we're not going to see a completely different tactical setup, but hopefully there's some fresh ideas being brought to the brought to the table and we can execute on those and create some goals, goal scoring opportunities. And then of course, finishing those goal scoring opportunities. Right. Cause to be honest, goal scoring opportunities haven't necessarily been a huge issue. It's mostly been the, the finishing aspect, but let's talk about Burnley. Now Burnley, we usually expect to be a very big physical kind of a classic English side they're going to essentially play in a low block, very defensive, and and just kind of essentially stay super compact. I mean, you know, and, and that kind of feeds into Everton's general tactics, which are play the ball to the wing and cross it in. Now, the interesting thing about this season thus far with Burnley is the fact that they're sitting on a, on a plus one goal differential, which is nothing crazy to write home about, except for the fact that generally speaking, Burnley are not known for their goal scoring prowess. However, they've been playing a, a flat 4-4-2 and it seems to be working out for them, right? Even though they don't even have really any pacey players at all, maybe except for Aaron Lennon, shouts out. Hmm. Um, would Ashley Wood and, or shoot, Chris Wood, Ashley Barnes have seven goals between them so far. And Dwight McNeil is, is a really exciting young winger. Again, not that pacey, but technically he's very bright. I was really impressed with him last season when, when we played them twice. Um, I think Goodmanson is is a pretty noteworthy name in, in, in the fact that, generally speaking, we know him as probably one of their more influential players on the pitch. Yeah, and I do think that because it's Burnley, their striker duo gets a little bit underrated or underlooked. But Ashley Barnes and Chris Wood have both shown to be really good finishers on their day. And no, they don't jump out at you as physical specimens particularly, but they are both pretty big, pretty strong kind of your classic English striker, like you said, it kind of fits into Burnley's identity as maybe this more classical English side. And, you know, the tactical setup is probably nothing new to us. We're very used to seeing sides that are in mid to lower table tend to play this style where it's safe and they're not going to put men a lot of men forward. They're going to look for the two strikers, Wood and Barnes' outlets, and try to facilitate play through them have them hold the ball up and, and get other players involved. And I, I, I'm I not afraid of either of them, but I do worry with the matchups with Michael Keane and Yerry Mina in the middle. I think that the two strikers could create some matchup problems. And if they get space, if they get chances inside of the box, they're, they're very good at finishing. And their scoring record this season kind of speaks to it. Ashley Barnes has four goals and Chris Wood has three. So seven between them, like you said. And I... Uh, if, and we know that we're prone to giving away easy chances in moments, momentary lapses of concentration. So Burnley will be ready to pounce on that. And we just have to really make sure that when we are possessing most of the ball, that we're using that possession effectively and not kind of meandering around the middle third of the pitch. That's true. But the nice thing is, as, as previously stated, Burnley don't have any real pacey players. And so with that, you know, that's kind of one of the biggest weaknesses that I see 
in our defense currently is the fact that we don't have the pace of Kurt Zuma to make up for maybe some of those lapses in concentration or some of those through balls that that are not getting snuffed out any longer. And so while we're not going to have to deal with pace, as you said, this moment, we're going to have to deal with two players posting up on the on central defense, which is obviously a completely different beast and, and the physicality and and the finishing. So it'll be interesting, but I'm not sure. I feel maybe a little more confident with the fact that there's not a whole lot of pace up front for them. But we know that generally as a whole, Burnley being tall and and strong and physical, another big issue that we're going to have to deal with are going to be defending set pieces, which unfortunately I hate to bring that up as an issue, but it, it, it still is. It, I think it always will be for every team, to be honest. Nonetheless, let's talk about Everton. So we had some interesting happenings, unfortunate happenings over the weekend against Man City. Um, so can we agree that Pickford in the back line will stay the same as we have said, I think, every match this season? Yeah, I do think that it'll stay the same. The only potential change, I mean, this might be an interesting game to try Sidibe in for Coleman. But I do think after his really, really strong performance against Manchester City, he'll re- he'll retain his place and the back line will, will keep the, the same personnel. Yeah, good show. I think that's fair. Maybe if he did not have such an outstanding game against City, then then that would be possibly realistic. But let's move on to the midfield then. Now let's go with let's go with how you think Marco Silva is going to set up the midfield. Um, some could argue that if any episode, it might be this episode in which uh, how you think he'll set it up and how you want him to set it up might actually align. Yeah, I do think that Marco Silva. We talked about the formation change that we underwent last season playing Burnley away. I do think that we will see a change of personnel. I don't expect Morgan Schneiderland to keep his place. That being said, it really wouldn't surprise me if he did. I think this is a game where you will probably see Fabian Delph retain his spot. We'll see. And I think now this is early because we haven't had the pre-match presser yet, but I think, I mean, based on the timeline and how everything lines up, it seems like this would be Andre Gomez right about the time he's returning to fitness because he has been kind of day-to-day for the past couple weeks. Whether Silva rushes him right back in, I don't think he will. So I I think we might see Tom Davies, who made his late substitute appearance, come in with Fabian Delph. Fabian Delph kind of plays the deeper-lying spot, Davis in the Gomez box-to-box type role. And though many would be happy to see Gilfie Sigurdsson dropped, I still think that he makes a lot of what we do possible on the offensive end when he's on his game. So I think he'll keep his spot as well. And so I hope and expect to see Davis, Delph, and Sigurdsson. What about you, Alex? That's exactly what I was going to go with. And and to further kind of cement our points there or, or our positions there, I'd like to point at the fact that Marco Silva started against City, Walcott on the right, Richarlison on the left. And we talked about it last week. In my opinion, I thought Richarlison should be played on the left because that's where he's strongest and he can contribute a whole lot more to the team. It ended up happening. My my overarching point being that I think Marco Silva is showing that he is more flexible than maybe some give him credit for. And so with that, we could see f- finally Tom Davies starting in, in a Premier League match once again. And I think it would be a good I think it would be a good decision. Um the interesting thing about Sigurdsson is with with how Burnley play in a low block, very compact, not wanting to let you play through the middle. I'm not going to be surprised if Everton fans are moaning about his performance after the match, only because 
that is that is the epitome of of kind of going against you know the the opposition's tactical setup, right? I mean, he's not going to have the space in the middle of the pitch. I expect him. I fully expect him to be moving right and left to kind of create those those triangles with with the fullback and the winger on each each side and, and and retaining possession there instead. But it'll be interesting nonetheless. So let's talk about our forward three. Now this is where things get even more interesting, to be honest. So as we said against Man City, he started with Charleston on the left, Calvert Lewin up top, and then Walcott on the right. Within one minute, Walcott gets hurt, which was terrible. Uh, we, we've since been told that he was released from the hospital. I think it's concussion protocol. So I, I highly doubt he will be included in the squad at all. So Awobi came on and that then saw Richarlison revert back to the right and Awobi on the left with Calvert-Lewin up top. Another interesting point to note was Bernard was not in the squad. He was not in the 18 against Man City, which to me says that he had to have been injured. Now, again, as you said, we haven't heard the, uh, pre-match press conference yet, but with if we can assume Bernard is hurt, Walcott will also be out. That leaves us with very minimal options up front. Yeah, it does. And I did just want to touch on the Walcott thing in as it relates to your point about Richarlison playing on the left. I did find that people were shocked to see Theo Walcott get the start against obviously Manchester City. And I think there are multiple tactical reasons for it, but I think it just speaks to kind of what we were talking about in our Manchester City preview where he really doesn't view any of our other wingers, Bernard Awobi, as options who can play out on the right because it was if it's not Richarlison, then he immediately reverts to Theo Walcott, who is a true right winger. So it makes sense in that respect. But I just found it interesting that, you know, you would think perhaps that if you're a winger, you can play interchangeably on either wing, but clearly Marco Silva views Theo Walcott on the right as more effective than an Alex Wobey or Bernard shoehorned over there. So I found that interesting. Um, Whether or not Bernard is injured, I think that's a fair assumption. I'm not sure how confident I am. I think obviously he's one of our better players and you'd want him on the bench as an impact sub. But I think with the way that the Manchester City game was shaping up, Silva probably didn't want to put too many offensive players out there just in case he needed that midfield reinforcement. And of course, it ended up having to be a very quick substitution. And so I think he probably wished he had Bernard on so he can make a sub later because Moise Keane was, of course, then brought on and ended up playing on the right as well. So it just speaks to the fact that we never really brought in a true right winger. And so we are still pretty thin in that area. Um, But as far as the game on Saturday, I think that we're going to go back to the the previous um, setup where we do have Richarlison on the right. And we have Awobi back on the left. Assuming Bernard is fit, I'd expect him to come on as a substitute. And of course, we haven't even mentioned the striker position. But for me, it's obviously Calvert-Lewin having just quote unquote scored. If you can, can, I mean, it's a goal, it's a goal, but not really a finish per se. So the record, it it boosts his goal scoring record and will hopefully boost his confidence. But um, he does look our best option up top at the moment, I'd have to say. Yeah, I think you're spot on Awobi and Richarlison on the outside, which... I really want to see Richarlison back out on the left, but I actually, I, I personally think that Walcott is also probably the best option on the right over Bernard and Iwobi. So it makes sense. And then at striker, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, four goals, four goals in the last three starts, um, three matches. Now, I mean, yeah, you could say that essentially it was Coleman's goal against Man City, but I will challenge you with saying this, you know, think about it from this perspective. It wasn't like he was trying to steal the goal, right? He saw 
Coleman chipping the ball in and as instinctual as it can get, he just chased it down. Now, you know, in real time with how fast play is going, with how you're you're positioning your body compared to opposition around you or even even other Everton players around you, you're moving quickly. You may not know that the ball is going to end up or you're going to end up meeting the ball, you know, essentially right on the line, you know, the goal line. So I, I can test that. I mean, it's a goal. It's a finish. He had to he had to be there to finish it. Right. And he had to be um, instinctive enough to meet it in that, you know, play. So. Yeah. I mean, I'm not disputing any of those points at all. I mean, I think those are all totally valid. The positioning that you have to be in. And as a striker, you always want to just make sure you throttle it into the back of the net whenever possible. My point was just that it's not the type of goal that's going to make people suddenly have confidence in Calvert-Lewin as like a finisher or the man to take us forward at the striking position. Um, It doesn't fill you with renewed confidence uh, for him, although I think that Evertonians are kind of starting to come around. And we've both, I think, always been pretty high on Calvert-Lewin, given, given his age and the amount of development that he still has left to do. But yeah, I, I wasn't trying to discredit him or say that he did wrong wrongly by trying to finish that goal. But my point was just, it was a tap-in of all tap-ins. So, um, you know, a goal's a goal. But if he had put in a curler from outside the 18, I think the context of that conversation is very different. Absolutely. I just had to rant because I haven't been able to on Twitter recently. You know, it's it's unfortunate because, uh, I mean, I love hot takes. I love tweeting hot takes. I get a lot of crap for it. But, you know, that one is just kind of long-winded. And, and I felt like there were five different angles in which it could be attacked and taken out of context. So now you just get the the front end of it. But nonetheless, you know, I think that it's really nice to see. You can actually, I, I honestly believe that you can see in his play, the confidence is building based on the fact that he's scoring goals nowadays. I say nowadays in the last uh, 10 days. But with that, you know, I also tweeted recently that Moyes Keane could be a decent shout. Now, do I think it's realistic? No, but he could be a decent shout. And I, and I say that because you could argue that he has a better touch, better technique than, than Calvert-Lewin does. And with that, that could be extremely helpful against a team like Burnley in a low block. Now, he's not going to be able to hold up the ball as well, not nearly as well as Calvert-Lewin. He's not going to offer the aerial threat that Calvert-Lewin is going to against all, you know, a very compact defense. But, you know, Moise Keane loves a quick turn and a shot. He, he's always looking essentially at goal. And so that could be, you know, you could argue that it could happen. And, and you know, me personally, I won't be upset either way. But I've been saying it. I'm going to keep consistent with what I've been saying all season. If you want to be in the top six, you have to play your most informed players, period. The name on the back of the shirt doesn't matter. The number on the back of the shirt doesn't matter. That's that. So I I would expect Iwobi, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, and Richarlison up front to round it out. And it seems like uh, we are in agreement essentially across the board. Yeah, and I do agree again. I mean, we're in further agreement about the potential for Moise Keane to start because in that low block, what Moise Keane can offer, you know, Dominic Calvert-Lewin is pretty much an out-and-out striker, occupies the central channel almost constantly, not one to really get into wide areas. Whereas Moise Keane, who can actually play out on the left wing as well, um, and of course we saw him on the right wing against City, what he brings to the table that Calvert-Lewin doesn't bring is the potential for uh, the fluidity with the front four, which is again a common theme that we talk about a lot. But when you are able to bring multiple players onto one side of the pitch and create mismatches and draw the defense out of position, then it creates opportunities. It, it 
it opens up holes in the defense for other players to fill in. So, you know, if Moise Keane is able to float out onto the right and help out Richarlison and they can create a mismatch, then that maybe creates space for Gilfie Sigurdsson to come into the top of the 18 into the box and get open for a pass and a shot. So in that sense, I agree that that Moise Keane gives us more tactical flexibility and the the fluidity with the front four that we perhaps need to break down a side like Burnley. That being said, I, I again, like I would be happy either way. I think Moise Keane is still being given a long leash in the sense that fans are, he's only 19 and I think we're all remaining very patient, but with the way things are going and the pressure that's starting to ramp up, if he starts a couple games and has a couple of bad games, you're going to start to see fans unfairly start to criticize him as they have done with Calvert-Lewin over the last year or two. You know, something I just realized as you were talking, James, that front three, regardless of the striker option, would all be younger than us, starting for Everton. The oldest being Alex Awobi at 23 years old. Now, you know, lack of goals is an issue. Our lack of production, you know, finishing, blah, 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 blah. But when I say it like that, I mean, I personally, I took off work all day and I sat on my bed and I played FIFA for like eight hours. Um, I mean, I scored plenty of goals, but uh, it was with my thumbs. Uh, I, you know, it, sometimes that bit of perspective is is necessary. Um, it also kind of makes me feel bad about myself, but that's okay. Yeah, I mean, we're both young. I don't know. I don't even know that average age of our listeners, and they'll probably scoff at us because I actually just turned twenty five on Sunday, and Alex, you're twenty four, so both still very young. But it is crazy when you are watching sports, and you know, you grow up watching sports, and I'm watching college basketball, soccer, whatever it is, football. And all these guys seem like adults and they're full grown men. And then very quickly it passes you by and you're looking at people that are much younger than you or, you know, younger, slightly younger. And it just, yeah, it does put things in perspective. I mean, I did not have any of my life together at age 22, 23. And at 19, Moise Keen is a multimillionaire uh, playing soccer on the biggest stage in the world. So maybe let's give them some time to grow up, mature and, you know, both on and off the pitch and be patient. I know it's hard because it is just as frustrating for us as it is for any other fan when the team plays poorly and ruins your weekend, weekend after weekend, day in, day out. But it's going to be it's gotta be given time, and we've kind of beat this drum since Marco Silva was appointed. It's not an overnight change. The A lot of what we've seen has been positive, especially the personnel that we've brought in. And unfortunately, the injuries that we've sustained, I think, have kind of stalled our season a little bit. But if we can get everyone healthy... And players start to come good, like I think we all feel that they can and know that they can. There's no reason why we can't turn things around going into the holiday period where the games start coming thick and fast. And I think now we have or we're more well equipped to deal with the multiple games in a week, unlike we were last season, where now we definitely have significantly more depth, especially in midfield. So to round it out, James, let's hear your score prediction. Well, I mean, I'm inclined to just pick a loss because we're just always so wrong. And so I think if I pick a loss, it might just be like reverse psychology because I know the whole Everton team will be listening to this podcast prior to the match. But in my heart of hearts, I'm going to still err on the side of caution. I'm going to say there are going to be goals in this game. Burnley will get open themselves up by trying to push forward um, because they are at home. I still think we can, we can put a couple past them, but I think this one ends in a two, two draw and it's not an exciting or sexy pick, but that's just what I'm feeling right now. And again, set expectations low, so you can't be disappointed. You know, 
I kind of missed the days in which you were the Debbie Downer, so now we're back, I guess. <laughs> well, with that, I mean, I have to go with a 2-1 win to Everton. I'm always going to have to be optimistic. That's probably why I'm still an Evertonian. And I'm, <laughs> I because guess, you're uh, stupid. yeah, that's it. Literally, because I'm dumb. <laughs> Actually, that, that reminds me of a post on Reddit. Somebody, you know, an, an American said, I'm, I'm a new American fan. Tell me all I need to know about the Toffees. And someone, I think one of the top comments essentially was, still don't understand why any of you would choose Everton at this moment in time. But, <laughs> which is completely fair to say. But nonetheless, I think it's going to be a 2 1 win to Everton. I do not think that we're going to come out unscathed. I think that the firepower up top between uh, Wood and Barnes is going to be, you know, a match in itself between, you know, Michael Keane and and big year old Mina. However, I think that with Dominic Calvert-Lewin in quotes in form, Richarlison is always hungry. And and you could also, you know, maybe argue that Iwobi is due for another soon. You never know what can happen. So I'm going to go with the 2-1 win. I hope I'm right. I hope you're wrong. I hope you're right, and I hope I'm wrong as well. Um, But until next time, we'll catch you guys uh, post-match Burnley, hopefully with some positive things to talk about and a win to recap. But if not, we will bring you uh, a solemn and somber reflection upon the perhaps reign of Marco Silva even. But let's hope it doesn't come to that. Let's hope we throttle them. Um, Until next time, up the toffees. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at USA Toffee Pod to stay up to date on the latest episode releases and Everton news. And we'll see you guys next time.